All right, another week, another episode. It's episode 15 of the Awaken Indie Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron McNicholas, and this is a cool episode. I've had more and more friends reach out to me about an interest in beekeeping, and it's something that I've also been curious about. And when I think about bees, I think about kind of like an insect that is a telltale or indicator of our environment's health. And I think a lot of people are intrigued by the fact that we've had a lot more colony collapse in the past you know, few years, and definitely more correlation with more and more pesticide, herbicide, and environmental interventions playing a role in that. But I think people are more interested also about how to source local ingredients. And honey is one that you can definitely find um, a source from even in your backyards in neighborhood environments. And so I think there's this you know, desire to approach, um, I guess, like a, a version of homesteading that you can even do in a cul-de-sac environment. And the more people reached out and had questions about um, bees and beekeeping and different apiaries, and I don't know if that's the right way to say that, um, but different apiaries around the area, um, I thought of the best beekeeper I know, and that's Jeff Kripe. He is wealth of knowledge. He's a busy bee himself. Um, he's always around um, his different colonies, his different establishments. He's going from hive to hive to hive 24-7. I mean, that dude barely sleeps sometimes. And so he lives it. He breathes it. His family's about it. Um, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Jeff over the past couple of years, getting to know his family. His daughter's a health coach. Um, his wife's an integral part of the business. And they're just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, family and community. And today's episode is exciting because Jeff is going to break down the science of how we metabolize honey itself, how the bees play a role in our health, how they function, and how the colony works, um, and kind of just the intricacies of being a beekeeper. So I think it's a wonderful start for anyone that's interested in diving into um, bees, maybe keeping bees themselves. And if you are thinking about that, I would definitely recommend reaching out to Jeff. Um, and speaking of reaching out, we've had more and more people reaching out about the podcast. So just a reminder to like, share, and subscribe. Um, email us too if you'd like. It's podcast at georgetownmarket.com. We've had more people just commenting on the show, reaching out to be guests, and I'm excited to share some of those new guests in the coming months. Um, it's It's been Really, really a wonderful thing to have feedback about the show. Sometimes you wonder if it's being well-received and how people feel about it. And it's been a wonderful thing to have people in the community talking more and more about it. So I know Dr. Lauren and I and everyone at Georgetown Market wants to keep things rolling, keep the community aspect of things shared. And if you know of anyone or you have some input or would like to help the community in any way, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with Jeff and the ones to follow. So without further ado, this is Jeff Kripe. All right, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about today because we're going to talk about some great things in our environment and our community and the role that bees play in that. And so before we get into that, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and how you got started in this kind of bee kind of environment? Well, it was kind of a kind of a puzzle. 
mm -hmm. we had to put together with just time in our lives, you know, from being introduced to the bees, just trying to get it out of a cold wind back in 72 as a child, where I fell in love with the bees, to, you know, meeting a guy on my paper route when I was 10, to getting some experience working with the beeware, but not being allowed to actually have hands-on with the bees until I had become an adult. Mm -hmm. um, buying the farm here in 97, uh, just really above my head here in the oats bin wall on the backside of the barn, there was an enormous uh, feral colony. Uh, for everything that we can diagnose of what those bees really were, they were German-like, extremely defensive. Um, we still have some honey down in the, in the basement mm -hmm. uh, from what we gathered. Uh, to later to be found out we know it came was coming off of that pennsylvania smartweed a wild buckwheat species because okay. we described it as as black as pavement and tasted <laughs> like old barn because that's what it'd come out of but, yeah um later being able to chase the buckwheat we began to really experience what what that tone and that flavor profile was all about yeah um but so Fast forward just a little bit further, I had my own uh, construction company, and um, we had some friends that uh, were interested in getting into bees, and uh, we were invited along, and um, it just turned into a responsibility to learn the creature after trying to extract the colony in the, in the oats bin wall there. We lost her, mm -hmm. um, but that encouraged me to try to learn her and really what she was all about because I immediately after getting into that wall realized that I didn't know anything about bees mm -hmm. and um, well truthfully we don't know anything about bees we're learning yeah uh, it's a, a lifelong process uh, I say there's 19 different life roles that we'll find in that box and that's just the 19 that play into that last role that has 19 different levels to it and that's forager Mm. You know, but there's young forager and old forager just like us. And so where the young man and the old man share the same seat just at different times. Yeah. We all have like got that. to play those roles out in life. That's if we're fortunate enough to live a long life, we'll get mm. to see all of that forager's life. You yeah. Know? Um, and that golden role is really there are no individuals yeah. that are found in the hive. Just the effort by all for sake of all others mm -hmm. in the end because that's what she does as a forager yeah all of that effort is about everybody else that she's leaving behind and um i think there's a generation that's here with us now that know that yeah um but i was just i was led to these bees through my life's experiences and um during construction building a home over in wayne town another side of crawfordsville high power of the county during ragweed season, mm -hmm. um, first time in my life I'd ever really experienced allergen-like symptoms of anything, and I was sick. Wow. And uh, before I left the job one week, I came home with a bouquet of every flower I could find. Um, I'd gone on a three-hour walk mm -hmm. uh, in direction of wind to find what it was that was affecting me. And when I came home, I had a bouquet that I could then sit down and begin to study the books and find out what it was and then when i realized it was ragweed that mm -hmm. really no no one's allergic to we're all so sensitive to that we think we're allergic to you yeah. know um i was led to you need raw honey you need local raw honey that's what i was told you know oh i remembered the honey as a child from my grandfather 
So I rush off to the nearest local beekeeper and jump out of the truck excited. I'm here to get my medicine and stop right there because I'm introduced to an industry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow those kinds of words, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and his game wasn't honey. His game was pollinating, mm-hmm. you know. So 20-minute conversation with that gentleman, and he recommended that I get my bees, get my own bees, put them in my own backyard for what I was looking for. Maybe I needed to serve myself. And so, um, yeah, through some friends of ours uh, wanting to get into it and actually inviting me to go uh, in the car with them with a cardboard box and no veil to mm-hmm. pick up a swarm. I said, call me when you get back home and I'll, I'll come and watch you shake them in that box. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't stay, but it encouraged us to, try you know, something. to try on our own. So immediately, you know, four colonies were back here on the face of the goat barn and, um, we sectioned them off and they did very well. Mm-hmm. And those four turned into 30 and, and, um, you know, suffering a, a, a terrible eye trauma. I was pushed out of construction. Mm-hmm. I still had some debt. I had my fourth child on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to provide for your family? I didn't know. Maybe I could just take that self-employed part of me and maybe apply it towards the farm. So, you know, uh, working colonies up to 30 and getting excited about going to market. I went to market and came home crying because I didn't have enough colonies to truly serve a community. I, I recognize that. And so we tried to, you know, multiply that season instead of making honey, we tried to make bees. Yeah. We split, split, split and made queens and we learned a lot more about the bees by having to go a little bit further than just that normal spring split. And um get our numbers up. Uh weather always is a factor going through winter here. You've got to allow for some losses mm-hmm. fed say 18 percent basically 20 percent of, of your colonies are expected to be lost every winter oh, so okay. you know when we're losing three percent when we're really on top of our game and we're only losing three percent um, that's just a lot more colonies to split in the spring yeah which allowed our numbers to go up um, and living off of this honey myself caused me to be stealing some of the very earliest of frames that I found mm-hmm. in the colony. Um, my, my forethought to that was with the nectar season coming on, nature was providing in abundance because I am one that believes that there are more flowers that are unvisited by the bees than what are actually visited, meaning that there's always a surplus. Yeah. Um, taking just this year's weather into perspective when it dried up in June and our clover family went dormant and and ceased to produce for them. They had the trees available to them. So Mm -hmm. it's at that time of the year that I choose to take from them with that hungry dog approach that when they don't have that surplus above them, they have the mindset of hoarders. Yeah. Um, There's often times when we get into our hives and and they're testy, uh, just, you know, anxious and a little bit irritable. Mm-hmm. because they're honey bound they're hoarders they see all this nectar all these flowers and they want it all but there's yet no place to put it in the hive so when we take it from them and we don't get through a full apiary let's say and i got to go back to that same yard the next day it's apparent as soon as you pull up those that have had honey pulled off of them mm-hmm. are busy doing their job and they're happy those that we have yet to tend to are still irritable because they don't have the room yeah and so this has been one of those years where if you didn't get the honey out of the way, 
well, you probably didn't keep your colony. They probably had to swarm. Yeah. There's been some later season swarms this year that I've seen posted just because of that honeybound type of situation. There's a lot there, and I want to definitely come back to a lot of that to unpack what you just said. Um, but I am curious. You said you had the allergies and some eye issues. Did honey yeah. play a role in healing those things? Well, I'll tell you, new pair of glasses on my face. Just got them last week. They <laughs> yeah. finally came in. Um, Look good. You know, thanks. Uh, <laughs> go to the eye surgeon to get my my prescription and actually ordered my glasses through them. But mm. when I walked into their office, it had been a few years. I had, hadn't been in there and been checked up. And yeah. uh, she looked in my eyes and asked me what I could see. And then she got up and walked out of the office and went down and got one of her colleagues come mm-hmm. back in here. Um, the fact that I can still see a 2015 with the proper lens, um, even a 2030 with just that interocular lens that they gave me, um, I say is due to access to nutrition without tax mm. on gut um yeah there's just a lot of vitamins and minerals that we need in order to complete the system and then that's the real gift yeah the system can really kind of heal itself when given all of what it's needed yeah so it's amazing when you're provided that and you've created a whole business around providing and offering people that wonderful wonderful service and you've even gotten your family kind of involved too yeah and it's become a family affair can you tell a little bit more about that as well? Oh, so fortunate that I have a family that loves me enough to have followed me into this. Yeah. Um, even when they didn't know exactly what they were saying yes to. My second daughter, Amelia, mm-hmm. um, she just happened to be here that day when I turned and looked at her and said, do you want to do this with me? <laughs> and she, of course, one. she loved me enough right away to say <laughs> yes. But, you know, graduating as a junior from Zionsville School here, mm-hmm. uh, she stayed at home and she studied online to, through IN to begin to get some degrees and certificates. Yeah, um, She wants to help people, but she was helping me to build this business. And she's been out there every weekend at the farmer's markets and during the week with the bees and, and markets and, yeah. you know, online affairs. And my wife being in here bottling constantly um, in order to provide what we need to take with us to fill our table at those six weekly and then you know once a month seventh yeah farmers market so uh yeah anybody else that's the three daughters and son everybody's on draft notice yeah uh, <laughs> I told, told my son-in-law there's only two ways in you know <laughs> marriage and birth yeah <laughs> uh, no way out yeah i have two grandchildren i was very fortunate to see them last week mm-hmm. um of course, there's always the, the forethought that, you know, maybe they would want to do something in this, too, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a way that we found that we can be of a value to the community yeah. or communities that we are involved in and uh, provide a service to our fellow brothers and service, something that we truly believe in. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the best messages is how can you be of service to the community, give back to it. And that's definitely been a theme of this show with everyone that's been on the show. And right. so I love it that we all have this communal mindset. Um, so I'm, it's wonderful that your products are out there, that you're serving the community. And I think it'd be great today to offer some of the information behind your products, as well as just bees in general. Um, and I know one thing that a lot of people worry about, you know, is the health of the bees. And you kind of were talking about a little bit that bees, they might have to adapt to go into different sites for pollination, you know. Um, so trees or different flowers. Sure. So how is, you know, the health of bees being affected right now and what can we do about it? Well, you know, um, there's a lot of folks out there that would begin to point fingers and name names. Mm-hmm. Who's to blame? I'm going to bring this down just to balance. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we're probably the one creature on earth right now that is causing all of the imbalance. 
I found myself out there at market saying for a long time that if man were just to pause for a moment, that he would see that nature is already on the mend. Mm. It's just that we won't pause, so therefore we don't see. Um, it's not like painting where you turn around and get instant gratification for what you just did. It's going to take nature a long time to undo some of the things that we have done. Yeah, yeah. Out of just being naive to the balance of things. Um, most of our lives has all been built around convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, for even when we enter into this earth to when to harvest that plant and you know how we go about this should be a lot more in unison uh, we should never lose the perspective that we're just part of this place mm-hmm. when I tell you that we're believers in the writings that are over 6,000 years old uh, we were led to those writings and when I read them mm-hmm. um, I was given goosebumps and I was validated for what was on my table because really, the truthfully, the first time that it was spoken to me was at the JCC on a Sunday afternoon. Interesting. And um, I was asked if I knew the Lord's instructions to the honeybees. And I said, I know a lot of things about a lot of things, but I'm not <laughs> going to claim I know anything about that. Yeah. And he professed to me something I knew had to be biblical because of the way that it was spoken mm-hmm. and the goosebumps that it gave me. Uh, that I have now speaking about it Hmm. Um, and validating me for what was already on my table without full understanding because so much of this truly has been a faith-based mission on our part. I took my watch off many years ago and I pulled my checkbook out and I said to the bees and to the Lord that I would give what I needed to give in order to be here to do this. And as I exclaimed one time to a patron of ours that I wish I could have started doing this 20 years earlier. I had to stop myself from saying that because I recognized in my own life, all of those life roles that I had to play out, all, all those things that I had to get done in order to be here mm-hmm. with this property, with this facility at this time, when the calling came for me to get involved. And, um, you know, I, I just, I feel blessed every day mm-hmm. um, for one when I can see, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, for my own eye issues, but to be able to understand her, the honeybee, at a level that we do, and for her to allow us and provide for us something, still, she's still operated on those instructions from the Lord. And you know, if anything's changed, it's not this world, but maybe just our perception of this world. Mm. And I think that if we involved ourselves more, like the men who wrote these books that I speak of, mm-hmm. uh, that knowledge came from a, a true integrated relationship with Mother Earth. That's how we found ourselves. I think that's well put. I mean, that separation of human from nature is a really a big barrier to knowing what's going on. And it like is. you said at the beginning, like how do we actually know what's going on with the bees? You know, it's hard to tell. So I just think that it's a it's a representation. You know, uh, we we've heard the saying that today's honeybee is somewhat like that canary in the mine 170 years ago interesting okay uh just an extremely sensitive creature Mm -hmm. if not the most sensitive creature that we are able to interact with yeah um and she tells us a lot that we yet to understand Uh, we watch the news for the weather but i'll tell you that the bees are telling me the weather on a forecast that we don't understand. They're probably more accurate too. Oh, they are so much more <laughs> accurate. Uh, and I recognize to trust them. Yeah. Because they know. They know what's coming. Yeah. You know? And then there's times too where um, 
some young queens just don't know when to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we true all around. You know, good thing. <laughs> yeah. Comes in excess at times. Yeah. Um, and there are times when we do have to step in and, and guide them. But mm-hmm. uh, the methods that we use primarily in, in how we operate with our bees is a break and brood chamber. Um, you know, we've read the writings where there are 26 different mites in the box, but really just two that are named because we know them better. Mm-hmm. And we experience the results of their presence. Um, heavy mite counts bring sick bees hmm. that are unable to keep up with the imbalance within the hive and still combat with the imbalance found in nature. Yeah. You know, um, lots of bees in full sun. Uh, hot boxes run cleaner. Hmm. Um, big boxes of bees have more members to normally manage that balance better okay smaller colonies can get out of balance and be tricked by one another you know um nutrition 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 i can't say it enough Mm -hmm. you know um the saving grace for us here in indiana because you know of the little over 600 sources that are available to the honeybee between mid-february to mid-november that's a long season. Bloom time could be just four days to four weeks for some of those longer blooming trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say trees, I get a lot of question marks on faces at the market. Uh, that's a, a large part of our garden, really about 80% of the bees' accessible plants. Our yeah. um, saving grace in that summertime and in, and in the fall time would be those creeks and riverbeds, those low-lying areas that are floodplain, um, something that cannot be really utilized by the farmer or the developer mm-hmm. to make money. And we keyed in on that being down in here, you know, we're kind of down in a hole here. Yeah. Eagle Creek divides the property right here. Um, we actually started this under a different name. It was a cute name. If I told you the story, we'd laugh and you'd buy my honey. But if I didn't <laughs> say anything, I watched the psychology of that, you yeah. know. Uh, there's a comfort zone because really of our lack of education. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a great deal of my time at the table is spent talking about cellular health yeah. and trying to open up a dialogue, especially on an individual within themselves, mm-hmm. that language of gut. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't until I began to discover that language of my own gut that I realized what I needed. Yeah. And the, the more that I knew language of gut, the easier it was to find the foods that we're already speaking that same language. And that's what led me to this, truthfully. Mm. I was on the honey game, but buying an old house and going through renovation, I got into some black mold and some raccoon feces, and I got a very terrible respiratory infection that kind of overcharged my system, and it began to attack itself. And, uh, you know, I'm not one to go to the doctor's office, but when I did, they sent me home with six different prescriptions. And yet it was the old timer that suggested a bottle of bee pollen. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders, not knowing much about it at the time, you know, had honey, but that was the trace Mm -hmm. of what was in that bottle of pollen. Because really what we find is that the honey is to serve liver. That's only 18% of your daily trace. That's that proper carb that serves without tax on gut. It's the bee pollen. That's mm-hmm. 82% of accessible trace amounts of those minerals and vitamins and that fiber and protein and those probiotics. And one of five found in nature to contain the prebiotics as well. Um, 
amazing sources that are God-given. Yeah. Because they come straight from nature and they're perfect in their arrival to us. You know, the, the, the nectar at the flower is a sucrose. But yet the bees are the ones that have the ability to produce that enzyme called invertase that splits that sucrose chain for us. And so that's what they're doing to the flower. That's their gift being able to split that sucrose chain that is both proper fructose and glucose so that mm -hmm. when we have it to a dried beneath that threshold that nature has drawn for us at 18.6 moisture content, we arrive at something that is perfectly aligned with our liver. Wow. That the, in, the experts that are here would say upon arrival of the mouth, mm -hmm. we've already begun to correct your glucose levels. And when it comes to the male part of the flower, because man was not intended to live on honey alone, it's only 18% of his daily needs. Mm -hmm. It's the male part of the flower that brings the other of that cup that's empty, the 82%, yeah. all that I was mentioning. Um, not just being a gut healer, but also blood protector. Yeah. Um, that's where we find access to nutrition. When we take bee pollen within two hours, evidence of that pollen can be found in absolutely every fluid that is produced by the human body. Wow. So when we find foods that are that complete mm -hmm. and that accessible to our bodies, I think that that's something that nature has provided for us in a perfect sense and we ought to pay attention to it. Yeah. Well, before we even started recording today, we were talking about kind of having glucose balance with some people that you'd talk to at the market. Sure. And there's a big concern around diabetics about their sugar levels. You know, when someone comes to talk to you about all this, you know, the, the different signs of sugars, what do you tell them about honey? Well, one of the common comments that I'll hear as people will walk up to my table, because it really matters not your level of wealth, where you live, how much you know. Everybody's drawn to her, the honeybee, because I say she's our everlasting link back to the garden. Because yeah. what's on our table is flowers. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that I'll hear out of a lot of individuals is, is that, oh, I love honey, but I can't have it. And I say, well, why is that? And I already know what they're going to say, because I'm a diabetic. Mm -hmm. But truthfully, honey prevents diabetes. It's all the impropers that are causing our system to overreact to that, tapping our pancreas for the restricted levels of insulin that can, it can produce. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of our preach out at the table. Yeah. It's trying to identify liver. Mm -hmm. I say liver's number one organ of the body with over 600 known functions. It's very important. And every one of them using a facet or a derivative of that that comes from glucose. Mm -hmm. But what it's really asking for when it creates that urge for something sweet within our system is a balance of proper fructose and proper glucose. Because if it was all glucose, well, we'd all be suffering from pancreatitis. Well, the interesting thing is, so a big part of the functional medicine program that I went through, they talk a lot about like sports nutrition. And so athletes, they actually show that they get higher energy levels when they have glucose and fructose together in their solutions that they're training with. If they just do glucose, they cut the gut, can't utilize it correctly. Correct. So we find it here in nature that honey has that. Yep. And I agree. You know, I think we are afraid of these a lot of sugars, but we create these alternatives like our uh, alcohol sweeteners, like xylitol and erythritol, those steal our minerals. But honey, as you're talking about, provides minerals for us. It does. And the minerals, in fact, are probably where are going to help you balance your glucose level in the long oh, run. exactly. And so we're so scared of these sugar spikes, yep. but those spikes aren't as severe if we have the proper nutrients. 
most people don't really understand that on a glycemic scale, mm-hmm. honey's average is just an 82. Okay. Now, there's a different level of glucose to every nectar that's brought in by all of those, remember, just a, a few more than 600 different sources that are available to the bees. Primarily, a lot of those are just pollen-based only. But of the bigger nectar-bearing plants that we can access here in central Indiana, it's our summer clovers mm. that are the highest glucose. Okay. Um, some of the earlier spring trees will have a level that's definitely noticeable larger. Yeah. But I noticed at the very earliest of the spring and the very latest of the season, are higher fructose. Hmm. A lot of our fruit trees are higher fructose. You can see it in the wax. Interesting. Um, the clover, the midsummer clover wax cappings are hard and white, mm-hmm. and the earlier and later wax cappings are paper thin, like rice paper, transparent. Yeah. Um, you can see that, that it was produced with a, a higher fructose level of nectar. Uh, but it's the bees that are actually the ones that are producing that wax. So it's what yeah. they're ingesting that's priming their wax gland in order to be able to produce that wax. So, yeah, we see evidence of it. That's that repetition of, you know, cycle. Yeah. There's a balance in there. I think it's important if, if someone's interested in helping their glucose levels and they want to use honey as it, they need to actually go talk to the beekeeper and see how they do it because truthfully, in the industry there's also honey that's not just honey right sometimes there's things that are added to it yeah and so getting to know your beekeeper your local beekeeper and saying you know is this just straight honey is a really important thing i would feel like would you agree oh for certain Mm -hmm. i i wouldn't uh ever point a finger at anybody here in the states uh that would be adulterating yeah uh any of their sources but i will tell you um having an online presence Mm -hmm. we often will get throughout the year several times we will get emails from foreign sources yeah wanting to buy all of our honey they're not asking price they're just asking to buy all of the honey they mm. want our source okay. so that they could add it back to their adulterated interesting um and you know even within the farm bill which you know if we can just be honest here when i heard that china agreed to buy 20 million dollars worth of our honey mm-hmm. at world prices, barrel prices. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it's coming back. Yeah. I, I know that it's coming back here, but just a little bit in each bottle. Yeah. And that's sad yeah. um, that we're allowing that. Um, you know, really, I, I feel like the industry in whole has been created a lot out of, again, our convenience. Um, the methods that we use to take our honey and as often as what we're pulling our honey is an awful lot of work. Yes. And I've had some big beekeepers look at me and say, good luck with that because <laughs> that's a lot of work and it is. Mm-hmm. But it's the only way that I can get a true show out of community that would be either seasonal or even monthly at times to be able to align with individual. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we're actually capturing that source, but it's not the presence of any particular source it's the density of its presence yeah when it comes to the spring trees what we're trying to help people understand is is that you know because you got a sniffle or congestion in your chest doesn't mean that you're having an allergy attack you're having allergen like symptoms brought on normally by a weak gut that's unable to keep up with the census of the 40 trees that bloom in the month of may alone Mm. 
you know, uh, a potential threat is treated the same as a known threat by the system. Mm -hmm. Our body is preempted to produce a histamine in order to protect itself from a threat in the environment. Yeah. So when we narrow our time frame of honey production within the hive, and we can show that month of May in a bottle alone by itself, mm -hmm. out of each community, I'm hoping that I've been able to capture that most prominent source. The density of its presence is what we're focusing on. Yeah. So we can then educate through the liver while we serve it about the environment. Yeah. And I have actually had some individuals, we have a Betox program that is based on the month of May or other seasonal for those who are triggering. Out of Noblesville, there was a gentleman that came to me and said that he had bought his parents' home and forgotten his childhood. <laughs> but he remembered one spring morning when he awoke. And then for the next 20 years, he was taking a prednisone for near half the year. Hmm. And um, we put him on the bee pollen and that spring honey out of the month of May in Noblesville that we had collected yeah. near his home, but really not out of his backyard. And with that, the following June, so that was in July that I met him, the following June, he said, for the first time in near two decades, mm -hmm. no symptoms and no drugs. Interesting. So, you know, through awakening that gut and capturing enough of that source, we believe, mm -hmm. that was triggering him, he was able, over a 10-month period of time, to ingest enough of this into his system that his system recognized that bloom yeah. and didn't overreact. And that's the premise and the basis of all of this hard work that we're doing. Yeah. Well, you're creating a truly seasonal product. You know, you're pulling at different times like this. And that, to me, sounds amazing because you're really connected to nature. You're out there. You know, every time I talk to you, you're talking about coming out of the field and being out there. Right. And you're a busy guy because of that. Sure. And so if someone looked at the different honeys you have, you know, they come in different states. Some are different colors. Sure. And what plays a role into that? Well... Of those some 600 sources, mm -hmm. each source brings to the table part variable in that tone and in that flavor and in that level of glucose or fructose, mm -hmm. you know, um, clear down into the flavonoids and all the other enzymes that are present to the trace minerals and the vitamins that are there. Yeah. Um, I have begun to speak of how the bees have really led us to the flowers and the trees and which have led us to the soil yeah if you've ever heard the saying there's no two trees that are alike not even when the same am beside one another mm -hmm. because soil composition really has the key play in all of our lives yeah. if it's not in the soil then it's not in the plant and so you know working with our farmer that is so closely tied to his soil mm -hmm. um, and trying to use organics as, as far as cover crops in order to bring back into his soil yeah. um, more of an organic style method, something that was intended, but not looking for stamp, just being a good caretaker of soil. Um, the buckwheat that he plants is able to bring back a portion of that selenium and boron that's almost absent in our soil here. So that's one of the lessons out there that we're preaching too is that you know if you're a Midwesterner or a real Hoosier that's eating local, mm -hmm. you're probably in need of a higher level of that selenium and boron. Yeah. But the buckwheat plant actually brings a higher presence of 22 different minerals, and the highest presence of any polyphenol. Yeah. Of now any nectar now tested because uh, they finally got smart and tested our North American buckwheat honey against that manuka. So for people that don't know how you make buckwheat honey, 
it's the bees going to that bucket crop, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes, it has nothing to do with the grain. It has to do with the nectar of the flowering plant. Yep. Um, buckwheat is a, a, a extremely precious plant to the honeybees and the beekeeper when he learns it. Uh, here in Indiana, there's 130 different wild species wow. of buckwheat. Um, so don't ever let anybody tell you that the bees aren't bringing in buckwheat honey here in Indiana. It's mm -hmm. just that most beekeepers won't go that deep into the season in order to find it. Or they just don't live in an area where that plant is prevalent. Yeah. Again, we keyed in on those waterways where it, there was no service to the land other than leave it alone. Yeah. Because that's where nature was still providing for the bees. Um, we found around here just a, an incredible amount of Pennsylvania smartweed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what was taken out of that oats bin wall years ago. Um, and it's what we pride ourselves in having the ability to serve, serve a truly aged honey mm -hmm. because all of our long-term storage is done in stainless steel around here for purity reasons. And by holding hive temperature, where you'll never walk in this facility and see it beneath 88 degrees, and yet you'll never see it over 95 either, mm -hmm. while we control that relative humidity of always less than 30%, we're able to keep our honey alive. Enzymatically, our honey is alive. Mm -hmm. Raw it was always something to constitute, never heated or filtered. But alive, we had to learn because the first takings of honey that we took to the milk house was not the proper facility to store honey. Mm -hmm. Our honey turned immediately. And that taught us about that level of glucose, fructose, and also did all, every other creature wants at this. Yeah. There, there was a value that was recognized by others that we don't fully understand. And so all of that brought us to building this facility where we say we built a facility based on the facts of nectar in its storage capacity by keeping it alive. Yeah. Because we're following through with the, what the bees had showed us. But really what I recognize is that the bees were following the rules that nature had depicted. They're just another member here. Yeah. These thresholds were created for all of us. Those bees were instructed to live with us mm -hmm. and to go and collect nectar and pollen from every source available to them. Yeah. And the good book says that emerging from their belly shall come a substance that varies in hues and shall be healing to the people. And this should bring comfort to all people, especially those with thought. Hmm. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought I knew what that meant. But I'll tell you, later being gifted that book by my wife, I found deeper in that chapter named after the bee that this shall also give those who can no longer the ability to do what they once knew. Now these writings struck me mm -hmm. profoundly because over 6,000 year old writings telling me something that scientists from a very local company here coming out here trying to get access to propolis because that's where their real curiosity lies and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Yeah. But they gave me resources that are endless and are coming from Europe, where we found research papers where honey was a derivative in the research project on a 30-day diet that was disciplined in proper carbohydrate coming from honey while the rest of the diet had been disciplined and ridding from improper. Mm -hmm. Those stroke-like victims who had problems speaking, audible impediment, and balance issues were walking and talking in 30 days. Wow. So, the fact that the liver's responsibility to not just cleanse our blood supply and umpteen other things, but mm -hmm. to feed our brain yep. that pure source of energy that comes in the form of glucose or glycogen mm -hmm. um, is something, again, that 
most individuals, when I ask them, did you know it's your liver's responsibility to feed your brain? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> did you know that you don't have a sweet tooth? Yeah. You know, we all laugh about it now once we know, but truthfully, um, we've been duped by flavors. Yeah. Well, it's important that we have that source, especially around the time we go to sleep, because we got to clean our cerebrospinal fluid while exactly. we're asleep, and we need a sugar source like that. Exactly. That's why honey can definitely help us fall asleep. Oh my gosh, it's one of our biggest preachings at the table, mm -hmm. is trying to help people to recognize that urge before bed, yeah. and it being true language from the liver about its needs of proper carbohydrate, mm -hmm. so that it could replenish those glycogen stores. As soon as it has access to proper carb, it gives the brain permission to consume that glycogen. Mm -hmm. And then the melatonin mm -hmm. of the highest quality form and state at a saturating level is released by our brain. That's a wellness hormone. It helps us to switch the duties of our system. Mm -hmm. And we get access to our cellular system because our glucose system is intact. And that's when we're able to replenish. They say the, the American or the average male... Mm -hmm consists of up to 37.2 trillion cells. Wow. And depending upon age and lifestyle before genetics, because most often time we understand genetics by birth, yeah. um, we could be responsible for tens of millions of those cells to be replenished or replaced daily. Mm. How do we do that? Through nutrition. Yep. But we have to have access to our cellular system. Yep. And so a lot of folks don't understand that what we have an urge for, something sweet, doesn't quite clear the threshold. Yeah. It needs to be proper carbohydrate because the fact that all foods are broken down into sugar, seeking proper carbohydrate that is defined by liver mm -hmm. in order to replenish glycogen stores. You know, the, the other side of the coin for that urge before bed is, is that we don't know what it means. And we go to that sugar-based. Mm -hmm. For my father, it was after dinner and before bed, but it was all sugar-based. It was cakes and puddings and pies and ice creams and and those are the things that spike our sugar levels yeah um in a way that taps on our pancreas mm -hmm. um or in the in the case of that pre-bed urge liver knows it's getting ready to go to work mm -hmm. creates this urge for something sweet we go to ice cream that asks the gut to go back to work yes and that sucrose chain that will be brought out of what we just put in our belly is derivative of that three to five hour access to an enzyme that we don't produce. Yeah. So if it's not there, our gut's working overtime while we're supposed to be drifting off into sleep, accessing our cellular system in order to rejuvenate ourselves. Yeah. And instead, we're being taxed with cortisol and adrenaline by our brain because it's not able to consume glycogen because yeah. liver has not received access to proper carb. You know, but the, the body is amazing using cortisol to suppress those bad sugars, saving our pancreas and those insulin levels. And the adrenaline is actually utilized by the system as well because it's used to stress the liver, to then ask the pancreas to release another enzyme, bringing back down that glycogen. And people will ask me, what is glycogen? So the liver is asking for a balance of proper fructose and glucose mm -hmm. so that it can retrieve the glucose out of that balance and produce glycogen. I refer to glycogen like two decks of cards mm -hmm. if that single proper molecule of glucose is just one card. So this was stores in our muscle groups and yet 85% of our liver's glycogen production was intended by overall system to be consumed by brain. That other 15% 
I'm sure was left there by default just in case we don't eat proper or can't find access to proper carb. Mm -hmm. That glucose window is a 30-hour energy window. So it was fragile on us being humans. We found in our travels of life when we began to eat fats mm -hmm. that fats could store energy longer. But it's really important to make sure that proper is included in every time we discuss anything. Yes. Because there are proper carbohydrates mm -hmm. and then there's sugar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when you have honey, it's more accessible forms of, you know, quote unquote sugar. Yes. Um, I, and again, yeah. remember, upon arrival of the mouth, yeah. it's so aligned and our system is so sensitive to that proper glucose that is there mm -hmm. that we've already begun to correct your glucose levels. Well, and especially when you get, you know, real live honey, you know, that's not been processed as much. And so I'd love to also hear your take on, you kind of spoke on already raw versus heated honey and what the difference is when you have something that's been heated. Well, so, you know, man couldn't drink the water mm -hmm. from the stream. He learned if he boiled it, it was safe. Yeah. And just abruptly adopted a boil all rule, right? Mm -hmm. And we lost access to so much when we did that. Yeah. Um, industry found if, if we hurt, heat honey to a certain degree, we don't damage it to a degree that it's not serving. But at the same time, I would tell you it's dead. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've got access to real data. We know a lot here. If you ask the right questions, you'll be amazed at what we know. Mm hmm um, at body temperature, we begin to affect 200 of the most fragile elements found within honey. At 102 degrees, we lose the ability of that intravase enzyme to function properly. And then there's the interface of honey. That's something that man recognizes, but yet he cannot scientifically prove. The medical industry recognizes it too. Mm -hmm. They've got a meta-honey. It's used in their burn patients. Mm. Um, both topically and internally, honey has always been healing to us. Yeah. It has three different levels of antibacterial properties. First being in suffocation, anything that you put in honey, honey is going to preserve. Mm -hmm. No oxygen, no bacteria growth. Second would be its pH range. Honey on an average is four, three to four, seven. It's very acidic. But wow. it's, it, it's, it's the one good acidic in our lives. Yeah. It's valuable to us because of its preservation properties. Mm -hmm. um, the third is, is in the process of adding that enzyme of interface and splitting that sucrose chain, there's a natural peroxide molecule that's formed. Huh, okay. So those are the three antibacterial properties that are found in honey. When we preserve it at high temperature, it's there. It's yeah. what our bodies recognize. Yeah. You know, we taste some honeys and they're sweet and they're flavorful and we like them for the flavor that they give us. But honey should excite us and excite our bodies for the value that is found within being that nutrition. Yeah. Um, because again, it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. And the glucose part of that is the carrier. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, accessing that proper glucose is needed by more than others. We have our hypo and our hyper glycemic individuals. That's another mm -hmm. one of our tells out there. You know, a lot of what life is about and the reason why we've been given the set of teeth that we've been given is so that we can then acquire foods mm -hmm. in order to find ourselves because we are truly trying to access all of yeah. those nutrients. Yeah. You know, um, 
And so recognizing within yourself or whether or not you've been diagnosed as a hypoglycemic individual mm -hmm. by holding that hive temperature here in our facility, the only crystal that our honey forms is that that comes out of the glucose, that true first crystal that industry would call seed. Mm. We can force fructose to follow suit in a like manner, but that wouldn't be nature serving for those that are truly hypoglycemic. Yeah. So when you come to our table and you're looking for a solid or a spreadable, something that they've called raw, mm -hmm. every bit of the honey on our table is considered raw. It's never been heated, it's never been filtered, but what I'll tell you, it's alive. Mm -hmm. And that that we have here that's in a more solid form or spreadable is going to be true show of glucose. Mm -hmm. That that we believe was intended by nature to serve those who are naturally hypoglycemic. I myself, I run hyperglycemic. Mm -hmm. So I am drawn to that first of season, mm -hmm. the higher fructose honeys, the fruit treed honeys, yeah. the buckwheat honeys. They're higher fructose honeys. Interesting, okay. You know, when we eat fruit, fructose from fruit is easily converted by half into that proper single molecule form of glucose so that we have that balance in offering to the liver mm -hmm. so we can stay in balance while liver retrieves glucose and produces glycogen. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't have access to my honey that I live on, and truly I eat a two-barrel bottle of our spring honey mm -hmm. every five days. Wow. And yet... We have a monitor, and if you take my glucose mm -hmm. levels, 25 minutes after eating three pieces of high-quality bread mm -hmm. that's puddled with our honey, mm -hmm. I'd be a 105, and that's elevated. Uh -huh. Because, again, remember, the, on, on a glucose scale, mm -hmm. honey is going to be found at an 82. Mm -hmm. That's the most ideal. And so... Knowing where that honey came from off of that source mm -hmm. helps us to also serve that individual as well. So that's so amazing that the different health need can relate to the different type of honey and then also that what the bees are doing at that time. And so it's all connected back to nature in that sense. If you can see in the window, that pole has been up in the window and those big bears are mm -hmm. since 16. We say that was the best show that we've ever had. We got an April honey all on its own. Yeah. And we got a May. And we got two June pulls. We got two July pulls. We got an August. We got a September. Mm -hmm. And we even got a mid-October. So for and those that can't see, it's a lighter honey that moves to darker color yep. as it goes across. And that first bottle was window pane clear. Oh, wow. So when storing honey at hive temperature long term, mm -hmm. there is a, a, a darkness in hue that comes. Okay. But we say that that's that show of mineral mm -hmm. and it's also that flavor profile remember this is enzymatically alive mm -hmm. it's growing and therefore the flavor profile on our honeys truly aren't found until they get to somewhere around that 36 to 42 month mark hmm. that's when north american honeys begin to slow down in their enzymatic activity like a fine wine hmm. so where that honey when we first pulled it was sweet and flavorful it become more robust mm. or more even explosive with its fruity flavor. And is that what you call aged honey? Well, mm. our aged honey has truly been aged. We don't mm. serve our aged honey until we get to that 36-month mark. Okay. In fact, we just opened a new barrel, mm -hmm. um, and it's at the 36-month mark right now. We say it's that new aged mm -hmm. honey because that first barrel lasted us a great deal of time. 
when we retrieved that first in 14, it was just a couple of buckets that we were able to get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not every hive. I'm not looking for a full box of honey. I'm looking for show of source from communities. So it's like rent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm taking what portion they will allow, being nature and the bees, mm-hmm. that's actually determined by the last 30 days weather, where we're at and what's forecasted. You know, if it's forecasted to dry up on us, I slow up in our pull. But again, I'm taking from them when sources are endless and they can refuel. Yeah. Um, so for listeners, I just want to kind of clarify. So if you're saying that someone has, you know, they're getting honey, you know, raw is really great and it's got all those enzymes. And then if you have different health issues, you might think about, I believe you said if it's a springtime. Yeah, it might be higher in fructose in the spring. Yep. And then it gets higher in glucose more towards the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yep. so then think about all those as they intermingle into maybe what you're trying to address yourself. Sure. Yeah. Well, those that are drawn towards the sweet, you know, if we did a blind taste test, mm-hmm. all of my hypoglycemic individuals will say, and they tap on that glass, they say, that's it right there. Now, remember, this is a blind taste test, and they'll say, that's it right there. It's that grit. Mm. And I say, well, you must be running a little hypoglycemic. Hmm. I've had women that have jumped back with their hands up saying, I am that. How do you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you just told me. Yeah. Because I know what this is. Wow. You know, um, if you keep your honey hanging around long enough, there's a portion of it that will turn to crystal. Mm-hmm. If you continue to let it hang around, the rest of that bottle will turn as well. But what turned first is noticeably the glucose. And so that crystal is glucose. Yeah. Okay. Now, it, it can promote the fructose part of that honey to follow suit. Mm-hmm. But again, for those of us that are identifying that in a hypoglycemic need, mm-hmm. we want to know what source that came from. We want to know our beekeeper. We want to know what he's doing with it, how it's been formed. Because I have people ask me all the time, did you add sugar to that? Mm. No, this is a natural... The water molecule that's attached to the glucose separating over time allows the glucose to show itself in a dry or a crystal form. And what's unique about all these different sources that are high in glucose is is, is that each has a representation of that crystal that could be like a snowflake. Mm -hmm. Each are different from one another. Some are more finer. Some make rock hard, break a spoon off it trying to get it out. (laughs) Some will never fully set. yeah, when we keep this separated, the, the sources teach us a lot yeah. um, about ourselves as we taste them because we're able to then identify that proper sugar yeah. to align with that intest- intestinal tract yeah. and its proper needs as well. Well, with your honey, you know, you do the raw honey, which is great, but then you also do some other things that are beneficial by providing botanicals also in some of your oh. honeys. The infusions. Yeah, and that's healing in itself because, as many listeners probably know, herbalism is a big thing that we talk about. Right. And you use a couple of different ones. And so I think that it taps into, you know, traditional practices where we preserve herbs in honey or administer them in honey. You know, we have things like oxymills and different syrups. Um, Herbal sodas are becoming popular nowadays. Right. Can you talk about some of the herbs that you use in your honeys? Sure. So, you know, with the infusions, it really came about... um, I lost my two best friends to two different types of cancer. And shortly after losing my best man, best friend, Mm -hmm. whom him and I had had long heated discussions clear to the end of his life about the value of proper carb versus the classification of sugar. Um, Remember, he was dying of cancer, so 
sugar feeds cancer and he was anti-sugar and he was trying to go zero carb you know um that was part of my life lessons is learning how to talk to people about the proper of this Mm -hmm. shortly after losing him I read a report from the FDA that was exclaiming the powerful, scientific proven cancer cell targeting killing aspects of capsaicin mm. from those hot peppers. Mm-hmm. And I no more than read that and a bell went off in my head and I was out here in a honey house trying to discover how it is that I could infuse a product like that hot pepper into our honey, mm. preserving all the integrity of the honey because I knew what the honey was. The honey was that master key or accessible to our cellular system. My thought process is, well, we were gonna get to that cancer cell faster. Mm -hmm. If cancer feeds on sugar, well then let's feed it with something in it that can kill it. Mm -hmm. When I got to the table, it became a culinary aspect for most individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have one individual leaned over the table and told me that it, it does but not with prostate cancer. Hmm. Now I asked him if that was firsthand, and he said yes, so I believe the man. Hmm. Um, all I know is, is that I, I love people and I wanted to help them. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was heartfelt, my trial to get it here. It took me 10 months. Hmm. Um, when we arrived at a product that I brought to the table, we called it Stinger, it was a habanero honey. We tried to truly show the pepper off and explain all about it. Again, another opportunity to educate. Mm-hmm. Um, and my pepperheads came back asking for a hotter one, and so <laughs> we stayed with that whole stinger theme, and we went with the scorpion pepper. And again, I, I truly tried to show it off as well, but that first batch that I did, mm-hmm. you know, when you're researching all this stuff, Google and everybody's feeding you, and um, that sample, sample challenge, you know, so sample spoon challenge, like what you just had, except mm-hmm. with... With the uh, scorpion honey that I had truly tried to show off, and mm-hmm. I popped that spoon in my mouth while well, I was rendering wax that day in the back, and I had to walk through a series of doors before I got to a very hot room that I just simply pulled the spoon out of my mouth and began to pray yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while I sweat and cried and laughed. Um, true endorphin releasing. We, we've toned both of those down so that they're pretty equal, but mm-hmm. you can experience both of those different peppers because different flavor, yeah. different experience, one at the front of lips. And, and tongue, one at the back of throat, but the mm-hmm. power of capsaicin is amazing. Yes. It truly is another of those gifts that's misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we say, you know, grab a bottle, start with a drizzle glaze, it'll change the way you feel about your favorite dish, but it will enhance your experience while it helps to awaken your body. Yeah, um, well, capsaicin has an interesting research behind it for blocking substance P, which is a big factor in how we perceive pain which is interesting. Exactly. It raises your pain threshold. Mm-hmm. can reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. has the ability to kill the fungus that causes psoriasis. Interesting. Um, and then the real reason why I was led to it for real. Mm-hmm. Um, cancer cell targeted. Yeah. Proven. Killer. You know. Um, how do we do it? I don't know. But I, I learned how to do it with the hot peppers. Mm-hmm. And then through serving at the JCC, we had some elderly folks there that I had really turned on to that urge before bed. But, you know, honey by itself just wasn't in your tea. But they asked me if I could do some rose. Mm -hmm. I had a lady that asked me if I could do some rose. Well, I've always been partial to roses. So I came home and I did a rose. And it smells like a bouquet, tastes Mm -hmm. like a single pellet. Petal, it's the most delicate of all the infusions that we do. And it's simply an old-fashioned steeple. We're taking organic matter. 
Mm. And by holding hive temperature here in this facility, I'm able to work with this nectar on its basis mm -hmm. to a degree that, you know, I can steep for a matter of weeks mm -hmm. before I then retrieve my botanicals that are then used or expressed in our soaps mm -hmm. or our lotions. And um, there's no waste here. Um, but there is the ability of honey to carry real medicinals from those herbals. And we have three herbals on the table now because, you know, Millie's education and my life's experiences. And, and it just brought us to a point that we really wanted to offer up a serving of help. And so we have an elderflower, Ignatia, mm -hmm. that was paired together um, for an overall immune boosting elixir yeah right mm -hmm. you know i mean because it's uh we don't spare we're the source of honey and mm -hmm. we're using true organic and we use enough of it that you can taste it all yeah um and we have everybody that gets any of that come back around and exclaim within a week we have a mullein marshmallow root that was paired very well together for a respiratory system mm -hmm. like a lung cleanse um I will tell you a little story about that that I'm proud of. We mm -hmm. have a local farmer here that's come to us for years. He comes about every five or six weeks and gets a five-pound bottle of honey. And he has a wife that was recently diagnosed with a lung disease. Mm -hmm. She's been a smoker all of her life. And she's not intending on quitting, so we kind of know mm -hmm. the results of that. But I gave him a sample of that and one of our baby bears just for feedback. Mm -hmm. And um, he called me a day of market and said, I don't know what you and your daughter are doing up there, but <laughs> that stopped her pain immediately. And he wow. wanted a much bigger bottle. Yeah. And he's been coming after that. But she's battling. And, um, but I will tell you that, you know, a lot of what our specialty products are, I don't get to take in the house with us. You know, I eat the ugly fruit. I eat the scraps. <laughs> you know, if yeah. there's a half a bottle left over, I'm fortunate to have it in there. Mm -hmm. um, being an ex-smoker, uh, my wife brought in a half bottle one night and I was having my midnight toast and I being too lazy to come out here to get my spring honey. Mm -hmm. I used what was available to me thinking it was a midsummer, but oh, as soon as I tasted it, I knew it was one of my infusions and I got a little mm -hmm. further, but before I finished that piece of toast, I felt a calming, cooling sensation within my lung tissue. And I've been sensitive to that for a long time because of the molds that I got into. Yeah. You know, and so as I learned about the wax and the great anti-inflammatory properties of the wax, it's, that the bees, um, I again, I physically felt that myself. So I know it's true. Yeah. Um, we've got some young individuals over in Pike, some cross country runners that grew up using our products to help with their lung inflammation. Um, and you know, that boy went on to run <laughs> cross country college, collegiate level too. Wow. And when I saw him and his parents just a couple seasons ago over in Irvington, uh, he said it was because of us, and I said, no, nah, it's because you were growing <laughs> and strong at that. You know, yeah. I won't take no credit away from him, but yeah. I'm proud of the fact that he was using our honey and our wax to help his system. Yeah. Um, that's why we're out there in all the places that we're at. Yeah, and for those that don't know about some of those herbs, so marshmallow is a great herb that's used a lot of times for mucilaginous support. It brings that cooling sensation as well as, I believe you said mullein was the other one, yep. which is an expectorant, so yep. it helps bring mucus out. Correct. Um, and then we have the elderflower in one, which is uses a diaphoretic or fever response and immune stimulation, as well as echinacea, which is used sometimes for those T helper cells and our immune support. And so you've got a lot of different areas covered here, which is great to serve a lot of people with herbal medicine. It is. Yeah. And then we brought one to the table with a linden leaf and dandelion root. Yes. And when we paired those two together, 
our focus was on the lower intestinal tract and colon. Mm. And linden itself is one of my favorites because it's so relaxing, you know, and it's it's really nourishing to that nervous system. It is. And it's, yeah, it's also a basswood for some people that don't know. And Correct. makes a great tea. And which was, this was one of those that they are exclaiming now three and seven years here in Indiana could be a basswood year. Interesting. So okay. when we get those hot, dry Junes mm-hmm. and our clovers aren't able to produce, our basswood trees are able to produce because they're a deeper tapped root. Okay. And never forget, those trees are a big part of our garden here. They're our tall medicine. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so when bees go out and they're collecting from different sources, when, do they have like a preference what they go to first? And if that's not available, they'll go to Single a second? sourced. Okay. So when they find a source, they will continue to go back to that source until that source no longer gives to them. Interesting. That that they need in level of what they are taking or maybe something richer closer by could bloom. Yeah. But I'll tell you something that the bees have taught us in that single source is, is that we have bees on a local blackberry farm here. Mm-hmm. They're there year round. They do the pollinating work for us. But upon peak of bloom in those blackberries, if we don't rush in, say, another half dozen to a dozen colonies, mm-hmm. our bees that are normally in the trees at that time of the year will fly right over that peak, peaking of blooming blackberry field to get to the trees that are still giving to them so when we bring in bees upon peaking of bloom and they have to immediately find source Mm. we're governing them that they will hopefully find that peak of bloom and then do a better job in pollinating that blackberry the farmer has said it definitely works yeah yeah but this was a dry year for even the blackberries yeah well we've done i think a great job of describing honey but there's other products that we can find from bees, such as bee pollen. Oh, yeah. Would you mind talking about maybe some of like the medicinal and nutritional benefits of bee pollen and exactly what it is for people that might not know? Bee pollen, mm-hmm. the male part of the flower. So it is that airborne. Mm-hmm. It is a, a histamine-producing substance. Uh, bees collect it because it is a very valuable source of protein and lipids and fatty acids and minerals and vitamins. In fact, what they say is... Bee pollen contains all known 96 nutrients. And then the exclamation that there are also some unknowns that are recognized there. Mm. Uh, Those unknowns, I remember, because I kind of giggled, with the bee accessing the flower and bringing back to us both sexes of the flower separated. And the only part of the female that is in the male part of the flower is a small amount of nectar used as a binder because these granules that they carry in on their legs, they say, could be a a combination of up to 3 million microparticulates of that source's pollen. The flower has drawn the curiosity of the bee for sake of nectar or proper carbohydrate, right? Mm -hmm. And then the bee is being utilized by the flower to carry away that source of pollen that then needs to be spread in abundance. Mm-hmm. The bees do a job that we cannot. And it's, so with that bee pollen, it's carried away on their legs, correct? Yeah, on their body. Body, the whole body. The, the three million number comes from them exclaiming that the honeybee, being a fuzzy, hairy little creature, mm-hmm. has up to three million hairs on her body. Wow. And each hair has the ability, through electrostatic charge that is built up during flight, mm-hmm. to carry or to collect one 
microparticle of pollen. Mm -hmm. So built in on her forearm anatomy is a comb where she is able to groom her body hairs and pack away those microparticulates of pollen into a pollen pocket on her hind leg that would often be like the old parachuter's pants. <laughs> and that's where those granules are actually produced or formed from all of the microparticulate show. Okay. And so, yeah, you can look online and see bees that are so covered with pollen mm -hmm. that you can barely see the bee. And so when you're collecting the pollen, is it they go back to the hive? And so then, then as they go back to the hive, there are traps that we can set at the entrance of the hive. Mm -hmm. And it's basically uh, a three-level screened detour mm -hmm. back into the hive where we've invested in, in Sundance 2 traps, mm -hmm. bottom loading. They say the gold standard of industry, exclaiming that there's no more than 70% that would be collected from their effort. Mm -hmm. We're simply hoping that uh, a portion of those granules being carried on, on those little legs is going to be knocked off mm -hmm. by the screen travel mm -hmm. and fall back down into a protected tray that keeps debris from the rest of the hive entering it. Those have to be collected daily, taken right away to a freezer space mm -hmm. because they're very susceptible to fungi and molds. Uh, all other creatures want at it. Mm -hmm. um, you learn by dumping out trays of pollen how susceptible that it is. Sure. Um, it goes from freezer allowed to self-express yeah. moisture content within this dry facility. Um, but honestly, there's not a source of nutrition on this earth that is as complete. It contains everything. I mean, that's... When we look at the garden and what the bees are going to, the bees are only present at the flower when it's in bloom and mm -hmm. in full capability or pre-capability of producing a seed. Because that's what all this is about. Mm -hmm. We're procreating. So everything needed to create life is there and present. Yeah. And the bees are able to collect it and bring it back to us in a pre-sexed form yeah. that actually serve us so perfectly that... It's the most complete source of nutrition found anywhere on earth, already in the most highly bioavailability, and the only two foods that can impact your immediate needs. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm living on it. Mm -hmm. I didn't get claustrum at birth. I struggled with the foods that I was raised on. Mm -hmm. um, I got into the black mold. My system rejected a lot of today's diet. Mm -hmm. And I was one that truly had to keep a diary of everything that I put in my body. Yeah. And at 57, I will tell you that I am healthier than I was at 25 mm -hmm. because of my access to nutrition with elimination of tax on gut. Yeah. That's amazing. I think every year that I like, check in with myself, I can't think that I'm going to get healthier, but I feel like I'm just getting healthier and healthier and healthier as I age yeah. almost in like this reverse order. And it's because like, you just find out more and more and more about what you need. And I find it amazing that sometimes I'll have clients come to me and they'll, I spend a lot of time taking people off of a lot of manufactured supplements. And I'm like, how can we get from our foods in the first place? Right. And a lot of times people take things like B complexes or B vitamins. And I'll say, how about you try maybe B pollen instead, you know, not only for the allergy support, but also from that, you know, mineral vitamin perspective. True. And a lot of them find that it works even better than sometimes their B complexes. You know, when it comes to the bee pollen, more so than bringing source, mm -hmm. I can bring more source through the nectar than I can pollen. Yeah. But truthfully, the pollen brings something for the gut. Mm -hmm. 
Because the census of what we breathe into our lungs is actually completed in that first five feet of our intestinal tract where more than 70% of our immune system lies. Mm -hmm. And if there's a question mark there in your gut on what that environment was, that's where the production of that triggering histamine is going to begin. So through the pollen's accessibility of that probiotic, prebiotic, Mm -hmm. the fact that it is a blood protector. It strengthens the capillary system. It protects the hemoglobin mm-hmm. through its protein molecular structure. It is a natural blood thinning quality and is a wonderful cholesterol reducing. Mm-hmm. I got a 67 year old gentleman in Lebanon who was given the last finger full in a bottle by his son. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, that's pretty good. Get me some more. Mm-hmm. But he'd just been to the doctor and had his blood work done. His son brought him six weeks later to the market because he wanted to tell me himself what his doctor said. His doctor said, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. And he said, why, doc? And he said, well, because there's a significant reduction in your cholesterol levels of 35 points in just six weeks' time. Wow. And the thing of it is, is as I make all these claims, I encourage people to fact check me because if you ask the questions, they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. And what we hear then is, oh my gosh, how come they didn't tell me? Yeah. Well, because you didn't ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I think when you get your hands dirty and you get involved in back in nature, you'll see those results. And so it's great that you're providing that source for them. And there's another bee product that I want to talk about that you can get, and that's propolis. And you started talking about it earlier. Yeah. For those that don't know, what is propolis? So this is the time of year that we collected propolis. We've got some uh, plastic flexible screens that we put on that create voids within the hive that the bees themselves feel the urgency to seal up. Mm-hmm. Propolis is that show of polyphenol or that resin or ooze that all plants have the ability to produce mm-hmm. that protects them from that UV and environment. Yeah. Um, that's what the scientists are really inquisitive about. Uh, the words that were used with me was what lies within the propolis is some 600,000 cures. And that 600,000 number was derived from that number of plant kingdom Hmm. because this is where it comes from. Um, The cottonwood tree here in Indiana, not really valued much, but to the beekeeper who knows, Mm -hmm. it's that one source that gives all year long that sap. Mm -hmm. So on that 39 degree day in the middle middle of January or, you know, even in December, before they've actually got it all sealed up, mm-hmm. they could be bringing it in on their legs. In oh. that same pollen pocket, they'll be carrying in this resin-like substance that they use to seal up the entire hive like caulk. Mm. And then, let's say a mouse were to get in the hive, and the colony defended itself and killed the mouse. Well, what's the colony going to do with the mouse then? So this propolis is actually used by the bees to seal mm. over it and encompass that mouse while it rots so that the decay of that mouse alone doesn't harm the bees. Um, We've found, we've gone and retrieved feral colonies that came out from underneath decks Mm -hmm. and the joists were up against the ground Mm -hmm. where, you know, the contractor had dug something out but, and the bees had sealed it up with propolis. Had actually sealed the earth and clear up into the joist. Yeah. Um, And it was amazing to see but, Without that, they're very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, so that's, 
we we uh, have these screens that we we promote that collection of propolis to be brought into these screens and then in october late october um, we'll take those screens back off of the hive and then we freeze them mm -hmm. and like ice cube trays we can pop out all these little pieces mm -hmm. of that resin that we can then weigh and mold into some coins yep. that are then offered to our customers who want to make tinctures but more so than tinctures because i've never truly agreed with the whole tincture mm -hmm. formula in that um, if there's so much of value in there, what is the, the high grain alcohol mm -hmm. um, doing to the benefits of those properties? I believe that there has to be some damage done to them. Mm -hmm. I've got some cancer patients that have come to us seeking propolis that has been harvested for human consumption. These are not just box scrapings. Mm -hmm. This is something that the bees utilize, but not in a dirty manner. Yeah. Um, we can ensure a cleaner product in the end. Yeah by doing that but our our customers that have come to us that are cancer survivors are just eating this by itself um one gentleman in carmel there was uh the gentleman who really gave me some feedback that i never would have been able to do it he told me exactly how long it took for a half a gram to be sucked gone in his mouth it took him over seven hours to make that dissolve mm-hmm so I understand the dissolving properties of the alcohol, but I question whether or not the alcohol damages the health benefits or properties found within the nutrients. Yeah, sure, because our body does have the ability; it just takes a long time. Yeah, and I think as an herbalist, propolis is something that I have used with a lot of clients, and it's also been helpful for my own health. And I actually do tincture it, and I'll give it to people, and it's more given specifically for the sore throat aspect. Mm -hmm. That resin will coat, and it's antimicrobial, and I'm fortunate that I don't get sick maybe like once every couple of years, but when I do, it's always my throat. And so propolis has been something that's been near and dear to me that I can coat my throat with and it's immune stimulating, you know, and it helps in a lot of different areas besides that. Like you talk about cancer research is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And if they're able to just consume a little bit of it, I think that is a great idea. Yeah, all by itself. And it's very resinous for those that have not tried it. It is. Yeah. It is. But you know, for all of the research that I have done on it, which I'm not going to explain to be an expert by any means whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I'll tell you is that it's the one product that's coming out of the hive that is probably the most likely mm -hmm. to cause a sensitivity. Oh, interesting. But that's how we're waking the system up, I believe. Hmm. We're turning the system on, you know, yeah. show up at some of their offices. What do they do? They grab it rough. They pinch it. They prod it. They poke it. Mm -hmm. Right. And we think, oh, well, he was rough. But really what he did was just wake your system up. Yeah. Because some of these low-grade infections and are overlooked by the system because they're minor. Yeah. Well, there's an aspect of medicine called hormesis. A little bit of stress is a good thing. Yeah. And we want to balance it between too much stress. <laughs> and so a little bit is goes a long way. Um, and so we have these different products. We have honey. We talk about, we talk about bee pollen. We talk about propolis. I know a lot of people... Would you mind sharing... Uh, the amount of propolis that you use to oh, the sure. amount of, and you were using a, 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 a Everclear or were you using a vodka? Or what? So when I make tinctures, I get organic um, grain alcohol. Okay. It's gluten-free right. for people that are sensitive, and I get it from a co-op buy-in. And it's high, you know, high percentage alcohol nice. since it's a resin, so it has to dissolve it. So I use like a one to three. I try to get okay. it so it doesn't have to be so strong. Um, so it's a one to three and it dilutes it. You have to wait a while though for it to break down. Okay. Um, and I tell people, you know, it'll burn a little bit, but you know, it coats that throat 
and you'll notice it. You know, I'll have like that burning and then I'll have that ease afterwards because I can feel it coating the throat. Nice. Yeah. One customer that I have that comes to us for propolis to make tinctures, mm-hmm. I believe that he told me his formula was three ounces to mm-hmm. a 750 milliliter bottle. Okay. Wow. And the coins that we sell are weighed out at half of an ounce so that you can make smaller personal amounts. Yeah. Um, 750 ml bottle is a big bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for someone more like you that's serving mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but for individuals at home, they mm-hmm. don't have to make that much. They can yeah. make a much smaller batch for their own they personal can. self. Yeah. Yeah, but there is some wonderful, uh, and again, uh, the industry is asking for it. Yeah. You know, when they were out here, they, they overlooked the honey and the pollen. They they want to know how many of them coins they can get. <laughs> they want to go analyze those coins to find out what the bees are bringing in. But truthfully, you know, the instructions were for them to go and mm-hmm. collect from everything available to them. Yeah. That's worldwide. Yeah. So, you know, that encompasses many different sources. And why we were led to where we were to eat and drink of her because she contains all that we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, with all these different products that we have access to, I know some people are concerned about you're taking from the bees. Can you talk about that perception that maybe we're stealing from them or are we not? Again, instructions were for them to go and provide for us something that would be healing, Mm -hmm. bring comfort to all. So their abundance, you know, part of that pest management program of ours is to make break and brood cycles. So as we take queen and young brood out of box, we leave behind the ability to hoard Mm -hmm. or overgather more than what they need. And that's where our surplus is taken from. Yeah. And I think it is that balance. You know, you could definitely take too much. But if you're a good beekeeper, you know, you're going to keep that balance. I don't want to feed my bees. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. And that's another reason why I take from, I'm in a constant pull once we start. Mm -hmm. We started on the 16th of May this year. Yeah. You know, so it would take me four to five weeks to get back to that colony where I'll get another small show again. Yeah. And I can do that three times yep in a season so the end of the season we still are forced with the same issues of every other beekeeper we've kicked the can down the road mm-hmm. we still have to make sure that they have everything to make it through winter because you know that's part of that psychology of bee mm-hmm. after swarm and they've reestablished winter's coming yeah winter's coming until spring has arrived but they must collect what they need to make it to spring yeah so once and, winter hits, they're going dormant, correct? And they're going to stay in the hive? Yep, and they're just going to cluster. Okay. They're going to do muscular exercises with those wing muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually have the ability to un- unhinge their wings mm-hmm. and do isolation exercises to create heat. Yeah. And where they would say that, you know, by design, everybody takes a turn. I don't think that they have numbers that they call out. I think it's a survival mode, you know, for everybody that gets in somebody's popped out on the Mm -hmm. outside and like the penguins you know everybody is included in that cluster Mm -hmm. value of all yeah that's the beautiful thing you know and within that hive there's different roles correct too there's a queen there is there's workers there is so you know what they will say is normally there shall be only one queen Mm -hmm. we have on rarity times found a daughter working with mother mm-hmm. um, in big boxes. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of tricky, you know, when you're working with your daughter and I got the queen, no, she's got the queen and we're in the same box, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 
we know that by running big boxes, sometimes colony just demands of young queen to produce another daughter that would be allowed for a period of time over the season yeah. to work alongside her. And then also knowing that she'll give her life at the end of the season so that there shall be only one, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, big colonies, they sometimes will and talk so, her into it. Yeah. And so for those that maybe want to start their own colony, you know, are they taking queens and then transporting them to a new hive? So there are several different ways that you can come about getting bees. You can mm -hmm. go to a local beekeeper such as myself and yeah. and get your name on a list for an, an early spring split from mm -hmm. an overwintered box. Or you could get your name on a list for a new queen that will be produced in the spring during that swarm season. Yeah, uh, The difference in arrival of your box could be about a month. Um, but yeah, you're going to need to have, you know, open brood with eggs and larvae and, and then cat brood and pollen a frame, mm -hmm. a little honey. We call it a nucleus colony. comes with that queen that has laid all of those works. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you put that in uh, conventional, you know, equipment, drawn out frames will happen over the summer. It takes anywhere from uh, seven to eight pounds of honey to produce a pound of wax. Okay. In Europe, they would say 28,000 flakes out of her wax glands would be equivalent to a kilo but there are nearly 16 pounds of wax that have to be drawn out in an established colony so we've kind of concluded that the first 130 pounds of nectar that is gathered is for that vessel production or that comb mm -hmm. to be drawn out just so that that queen has a, a space to lay an egg or that colony can then store that pollen and honey yeah um, you know, in the spring during the reproductive cycle of the honeybee, uh, our swarmy season, um, people, most people are afraid of honeybees, but what they don't know is, is during that swarm time, it's mainly made up of some of the youngest members of the colony. Um, some of them are less than five days old and, um, they will fly to a location without really knowing or understanding what they're doing until they get there. Mm -hmm. And then the instincts and the ability of their body really kick in to where they can produce that wax from their body and that colony can get that vessel established to where that parent queen can begin to lay eggs again. And that's the first of establishing a new location for bees, but this has to happen every year. Um, there was a time when man thought he could breed that swarming instincts out of her, but it's really nature's way of reducing that mite count that's mm. what we've recognized as we've watched her work in a more natural environment yeah is is that she too is on the men she's she's working on that too that's part of that honey bound as well mm -hmm. um but again we you know when you're a honey producer we're trying to get at that honey and we're also trying to prevent that pest from becoming so populous that it can overwhelm the colony yeah so, and you mentioned wax a second ago. Is this yeah. the thing that people think of beeswax they use yep. in the commercial, more body care industry? Exactly. Okay. Um, it's what we use in our lotions, and uh, we sell pure beeswax candles. Mm -hmm. uh, through the process of collecting our honey, there are cappings over the top of those cells that we have to scratch or cut open, and those are all retrieved and rendered down mm -hmm. um, back into a solid block to where we can then utilize it in our lotions and our salves. And, in our candles yeah um, it's the longest hottest brightest burning candle fuel there is it was one of the first dentist tools uh, it's used by about every industry that, that there is for mm -hmm. one way or another 
Um, it's an extremely valuable source and it's that third pure coming out of the hive pure being defined by myself as something that man cannot create he might yeah. understand a portion of but he could never create yeah. and that's that's those god givens so we're going to be kind of wrapping up here soon but i am curious with all we've talked about today if someone's interested in helping to support bees you know what are some things that they could think about doing well, you know, uh, the way that the floral system kind of works around here would be normal uh, year that would be described as an April-May trees mm -hmm. um, with a transition of June month from trees into then ground flowers like clover family okay. that then lead us to that August after wildflower family. Okay. So when we think of what can we plant for the honeybee, there's a pollinators list or a program out there for pollinators. Mm -hmm. That's a two and a half pages worth of sources that you could plant to help them. But when we isolate the honeybee, mm -hmm. it's at best just a long paragraph. Um, so think of trees mm -hmm. in the spring. It's hard to compete with the clover, mm -hmm. but if you would just allow that little Dutch or all-site clover in your yard to grow, mm -hmm. that's the third largest nectar-bearing plant here in Indiana because wow. it's on a two-week recycle. Wow. So for those that are working with us and understand the plight of the bee, mm -hmm. if you've got a really large yard, mow one half this week, mm -hmm. mow the other half next week, there'll be a constant bloom of those. There are some years where the rainy years will push those bees to that yeah. because it replenishes faster. Yeah. Um, but the clover family is, again, pretty large. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different clovers that can, in this year, uh, the bees weren't able to really utilize the wild yeah. sources, but they were able to utilize the farmer's sources. That crimson clover and that red clover after being chipped by the bumblebee was accessible. We see a lot of that in our hives midsummer after that basswood transition. Mm. Um, so, you know, again, trying to pull honey at different times and following the bees every day that's how we identify where they are we're looking for them yeah and after a while you begin to taste those familiar flavors that have come in you know trees are an annual yeah every year they're there except the trees get you in the spring they'll get you every spring yeah there's heavy cast years but unlike the wildflowers there's biannuals there mm -hmm. we see that bloom this year but we don't see it until two more years you know um, so all I can tell you is that when you come to our table and you're looking for a source, tell us where you are, tell us when your first arrival of trigger time period is, because we've also recognized when we, when we really deal with that first onset of inflammation or trigger, mm -hmm. that classic beginning of summer, end of summer complaint is now followed up with I'm golden now. Yeah. I'm good to go because when we align with liver, mm -hmm. liver's keeping system cleansed. The cleanse, more cleansed our system is, the more ability our gut has to then identify nature as a non-threat that it yeah. is. Um, you know, and I would just tell you that as far as what any threat of pesticides, fungicides, the bees have the most sensitive smeller of all. There's a flower called ghost ivy. We could stand closer to it than you and I are now. We couldn't see it or smell it. But marked bees from over five miles away can zero in on it. Yeah. They can identify source and they can follow it for great distances, unlike us. Yeah. And they're avoiding us. That's what I recognize. Hmm. Um, I run into more trouble the closer I get to town where more men are. Mm -hmm. But I then also recognize that bees just working around us. Mm -hmm. There is that bee line. It's 
always been kind of referred to or assumed straight line, but there's a lot of zigzag to get around us out there. Yeah. And she's trying to avoid us. So anything that you can do to benefit her, being, like I said, spring trees or anything that would bloom after mid-July or August, mm-hmm. the bees are going to utilize if they can access it with their short tongue. I am curious just because mushrooms are a big part of my own practice as a practitioner, but also something that I grow. <clears throat> Do mushrooms have a role to play in that as well? Well, I can tell you that I've seen some florets in, in the colony that they have created, mm-hmm. uh, not truly understanding, but reading some scientists, you know, research papers. Yeah, there's an understanding of that balance mm-hmm. also needs to be within balance everywhere we are. Yeah. Um, I know that there has to be some benefit from it because they created it on that cone. Mm. It wasn't something that was, it was something that they were, it looked to me like they were actually harvesting. Interesting. And um, I can't tell you uh, because I'm not the scientist, you know, mm-hmm. but I will just tell you that I believe in balance. And yeah. so when, when they showed me that mm-hmm. they had created it, I left it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't there in the spring. Mm-hmm. So it was something that they had consumed over or had carried out over winter mm-hmm. before spring. Wow. Well, Jeff, we've covered a lot of different stuff today. And just kind of in closing, if you had to recommend to someone a way for them to kind of take charge of their own health, what would be something that you'd recommend to them? I honestly would tell you focus on your hydration levels. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, clean water. Mm-hmm. And then to recognize that how we truly measure hydration is like we measure how well we are nourished. Mm-hmm. And that's on a cellular system. Yeah. So understand that, you know, having micro and macro cups completely full, our system is unable to really utilize that without a proper glucose system. Mm-hmm. So proper being that word that must be used because we're just so often confused by the terminology. Yeah. If you want to know why we eat, read about your liver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if someone's interested in following your work, how can they get a hold of you or see what's going on with you? We have a fairly easy online presence, mm-hmm. uh, Eagle Creek Apiary. Okay. Uh, we're utilizing uh, roughly 400 square miles of that north indie space mm-hmm. so that we can then serve seven communities through the farmer's market but really from their backyard mm-hmm. because we have purposely placed our bees within proximity mm-hmm. to that market space so that we can honestly answer that question is this local yeah yes it is because we know that five to 12 mile micro climate rule that is showing in the nectar that's collected yeah if we have all of our apiaries lined up in a row, and we went down it, there'd, there'd be 17 different in the same month, wow. but just a variation of one another because of that microclimate show. Mm-hmm. Soil conditioning, whether or not you got rain, the density of that species' presence, yeah. more so than just its presence because they're going to go to the richest, closest source. Yeah. They count their flaps. They only get so many flaps of those wings before... They've outlived themselves. Yeah. So they can check out your website. Um, if they want to visit you at a market, which markets are you guys at? You can find us at eaglecreekapeberry.com.net.org. We're easy to find online. Then mm-hmm. the seven communities that we serve through the farmer's markets, Lebanon, Whitestown, Westfield, Noblesville, Carmel, Broad Ripple, and Irvington. Wow. We did the JCC, but mm-hmm. 
That market was closed three years ago. We left our colonies and apiaries that we had created for that market in place mm-hmm. so that we could continue to serve the north side of Indy. Okay. Well, people have a lot of ways to contact you, a lot of markets to visit. Um, I hope they reach out because you got good stuff, man. And you're doing so much great work in the community. Well, thank here. you. You are too. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm great talking to you today and uh, I look forward to more adventures with you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Peace. There's a lot there and um, another great episode. Love talking with Jeff. I always learn something new every time I talk to him. And if you're really vibing with his message and what he's putting out, I would definitely reach out to Jeff at either the local markets he does. He does some at the Brarapol Farmer's Market. He's also in the Whitestown area during the week. Um, And you can also find him at local health food stores and different shops as well. So numerous ways. We'll also link to social media and contact information for Jeff if you'd like to link to him that way. And if you have the chance, we'd also love it if you could like, share, and subscribe the episode and the show so we can keep the message about the community here in Indiana going and find a way to connect you with the best voices we have here. See you next time.